Blessed are those who swim in on Sunday. Now, I'm telling you, we even had people here at 8.15. I was just kind of going, wow, okay. I didn't know we'd have that. It was raining heavy. So, uh, you know, we moved out to Lano in, uh, in 1995, and uh, I moved there from Corpus Christi uh, and uh, uh, went out there. Uh, actually, it was 1991, and moved out there from Corpus Christi. And, um, you know, aside from the, the size of the towns being different, uh, when I was walking around, I was, I'm just going, okay, there's, there's something really, I don't know, something just kind of at the back of my mind. So there's just something really different here. Uh, and, and it took me a while to kind of figure out. And so I, I was kind of looking, trying to figure out what it was that I was noticing. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was I realized that in, in Corpus, all the signs are in English and Spanish. In Lano, all the signs are in English and German because it's, it's an old German community. So I went, oh, okay, yeah, so that's, that's part of it. And, and I started walking around, and, and the next thing I noticed was they were all white people out there, you know? It was like, uh, you know, I've been in Corpus where, you know, the population's about half and half and everything. And, 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 all, and, and so now I'm out here and I'm just looking around going, wow, they're, they're all, yeah, okay, that's interesting. And then we had our first Sunday of worship at the, the church in Lano. And, and I went in there, and of course, you know, it's the first Sunday you're showing up, and so there's a big crowd there because they're all coming to check you out. You know, I mean, is this going to be okay or not or whatever? So they all come that first Sunday kind of check you out. And, and, I'm, doing, and I'm looking out, and, and my church in Corpus, uh, we had a number of Hispanic families in that congregation. And, uh, and I go out there, and, and I'm looking out there, and, and they're all Anglo, except for this one row over here. And there's this one row over here with this large extended African-American family on it. And I'm thinking, now there's, there's, what, what, there's gotta be a story here. And, and, and we began to kind of learn about what was going on there. And uh, the matriarch of that family, whose name was Pansy, was a, a woman that held a, a lot of influence in the congregation. I mean, you could tell that people really treated her with a lot of respect. And when she said things, people listened to her. And, you know, if you wanted to get something done, you just put Pansy on it. And if Pansy decided that's what we ought to do, people would fall in line. You know, I mean, she had a lot of pull. And, uh, and so uh, I, I, we, we sat down with her one time. And I, I can't remember, it was one of her birthdays was coming up. And we said, we'd like for you to, to just kind of share your story uh, one Sunday and, and, and all and, and talk about what, it meant, what it's been like to live here. And, uh, and so we were talking with her. Cindy and I were having a conversation with her. And, uh, and so she was sharing with us that she had moved out there when she was a young girl. Her sister had been in Lano County. And, uh, and she had moved out there because there was a job for her. Uh, and, and in that period of time, Lano County was uh, not exactly a friendly place for people of color. In fact, it was known to be rather hostile. And so they, she came out there with some trepidation. Uh, she ended up marrying the only African-American man in the whole county at that time. And, and they began their family, and their family grew and got larger. And so uh, they decided they wanted to have uh, their own worship uh, split, uh, place, their own church. And so they built a small Methodist church out there where the extended family uh, uh, came and worshiped. And then sometime, and I'm not really sure exactly when, but sometime uh, several decades later, uh, there was a big storm and that building was heavily damaged. And a conversation took place, and the decision was made to, that instead of having two churches in Lano, they would just come on over to the, the German uh, church and join that congregation. And so they did, and, and their building was torn down. And so that's how they came to be part of the Ludy Watkins Church. And we were going, oh, that's okay, okay. And, and there's a lot more story there to be. But, but uh, we were talking to her about that, and Cindy said to her, well, you know, we, we've noticed that people, you know, in this church that you have a lot of influence, you know, and when you say things, people 
listen to it and do what you say. And she says, yeah, she says, you know, over the years, she says, I've been in all their homes. You know, I've, I've cared for their children and I've cared for their dying parents and I've cared for them when they were sick. And also she says, I've been in all their homes at different times. She says, and I know all the skeletons in their closets. <laughs> and I went, okay, all right. That's not the answer I expected and all. And, uh, and so we kept talking to her about that. And, uh, and she started talking about one family in particular uh, that had a special place in her heart. Uh, the gentleman's name was Herman Raisner. Herman was a county judge uh, for many years out there in Lano County. And Herman was a true German, meaning you always knew exactly what he thought. Uh, you know, Herman's the one about the third Sunday I was there, I'm walking out the back and, and, and he comes by, you know, you know, people are leaving and they're greeting the preacher and he, he says, well, you know, you did pretty good, he says, but there were two or three places you missed there that would have been good to stop. <laughs> okay. You know how people in small churches, they walk out and, oh, it was a good sermon, blah, blah, Well, Herman would just tell you exactly what he thought. Okay, that one this week wasn't that good. I mean, he just, he just put it out there. Sang tenor in the choir, and uh, he and Cindy had this kind of ongoing feud in the choir. Cindy would go, Herman, you're singing too loud. And, and Herman would go, no, you know, you're not singing loud enough. And so all this was going on. But Herman always told you what he thought. And, uh, and so Pansy was talking about Herman and Faye, and she said, they have a special place in my heart because of all the people I've worked for out here, Herman and Faye are the only ones that invited me to sit at the dinner table with them. And I thought, wow, what an interesting, disturbing comment. But, but when they brought her to the table, you know, I mean, she was part of their family. And no one else treated her that way. And, and, and all those years later, you know, she carried a very special place in her heart for them. Uh, because, you know, when we come to the table, I mean, ages ago, uh, you know, when you shared your table with people, the, the risk was that you might not have enough to eat the next day. And so it really was a, a risky thing to do. And it was a, a, a real understanding that your lives were tied together. And these days, it's pretty rare for us not to have enough to eat. I mean, let's be honest. We talk about we're hungry. We don't really know in America what that means very much. Um, but, but still there's a sense of, you know, when you come to the table with people, that that's a, a, a very powerful place to share life together. And, and for Pansy, Herman and Faye always had a very special place in her heart and in the heart of her whole family uh, because they actually opened their table to her. And this morning, Christ opens his table to us. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we thank you for giving us this place of shelter to come into out of the storm this morning. And we ask that as we're here, your spirit would open us to hear what you say and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I mean, early on in the church, uh, it's clear that the, the sharing of the meal uh, is very important. On the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter gets up and he makes this tremendous speech uh, and, 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 you know, to the people there at, in Jerusalem. And, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, 
and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this is, you know, a a month and a half or so after the resurrection, and and they've gathered in Jerusalem. And even at this point, you hear the the, the importance of this, uh, the the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the prayers, but also to sharing the meal together, the breaking of bread. I mean, very early in the life of the Christian church, that had become a ritual that had tremendous meaning and tremendous power and uh, was, was celebrated and, and recognized. So, you know, we, we sometimes want to think of communion as something that develops over a long period of time, but actually when Jesus kind of puts that in place at the Last Supper, uh, it, it comes with a power uh, almost immediately uh, and takes root within the church as a place where people come together and find blessing. Now, now, you know, even now, you know, we, we understand something about that. And uh, for those of us that grew up on, on ranches and farms, you know, uh, you know, when you're on the ranch uh, and it's time to eat, you, you're trying to call people together. You know, you don't, you, you, those, y'all don't understand this maybe, but you know, sometimes there's places in the world where your cell phones don't work. Um, and, uh, and so we, we have another way of calling people to the table, right? Y'all seen one of these? This used to be on the back porch of my mother's uh, house. And so, you know, out in the country, that'll carry a long way. You'll hear it way off. And whenever you heard that, it meant it was time to come eat. And whoever heard that meant it was time to come eat. So if we were out there, it was time to come eat. If somebody had been hired to help with the fences, it was time to come eat. If somebody was working on the water well or on the windmill, it was time to come eat. If somebody was out drilling, it was time to come eat. If some of the vet was out there working the cattle with us, it was time to Whoever was within earshot was invited to come to the table. But there were a couple of rules. Now, if you've been out in a ranch, you may have noticed outside the door on the patio, there's a metal, usually a flat metal strip that's welded, maybe sunk in concrete or something there. Y'all know what that is, anybody? It's a boot scraper, right? Because you know, you ain't, you will not track that into my house, right? I mean, you scrape your boots off and then there's a kind of a U-shaped deal that you stick the back of your heel in so you can pull your boot off without having to put your hands on that stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and the boots say outside because we don't track that mess into mama's house. That's just, not, that's just not done. And at our place, when you came in, if you'd been out all that morning and working, and in South Texas, uh, for a lot of the year, when you've been out working for a while, you know, you're pretty sweaty and nasty. Uh, and, and the deal is, if you want to come inside and eat, you're going to go take those dirty clothes off and you're going to shower and put on some clean clothes. Uh, if you're not ready to do that at lunch, that's okay. You sit on the back porch and the food will come out to you because you're not tracking that into mama's house. And then at dinner time, you know, when everybody came in, then you go ahead and you take everything off and you clean up and, and put on fresh clothes to come to the meal. And there's certain rules. And, and even early in the life of the church, there was an understanding that, you know, sometimes you need to leave the mess outside before you come to the table. So within a couple of decades of the resurrection, we have Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. You can tell he's just not really happy with them there. 
For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I receive from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I mean, this early understanding of the church that, you know, when you come into the table, uh, you, you know, you leave the mess outside. That, that, you know, you don't come to the table for yourself. It's not about you. It's about coming into the presence of Christ. That something powerful happens here. And this isn't the place to lord it over each other. And this isn't the place to put yourself in front of each other. But this is the place where you leave yourself behind as you come into the presence of God. That something powerful happens here. Matter of fact, it's, it, it, it begins even early on, on on the day of the resurrection. There's a story in Luke's gospel where Cleopas and his companion, they're, they're walking down the road going back to Emmaus, and they're talking to one another, and they're saying, ah, we don't understand what happened. We can't make sense of this. And, and, and someone joins them, and their eyes are kept from recognizing him, but it's the resurrected Christ who joins them and begins to explain to them how it all holds together, why, why he had to be crucified in order to be resurrected, and how the, the Old Testament scriptures prophesied what would happen at this point, how all of that holds together as a piece. And even then, with all of that explained to them and all of that understanding, they still didn't recognize him until they arrived at a village called Abu Ghosh now. Matter of fact, if you go next summer with Wynn and Sherry, you might go here. In two months, two months, you might get to go here and see this place. Because this is where they came, and as they came and they sat at the table together and they shared the meal, suddenly they knew and recognized the Christ with them. They understood that that's who they were in the presence of. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Almost from the beginning at the table was the place where the people of God encountered the resurrected Christ. John Wesley, who was the, the founder of the Methodist movement, talked about communion, and he, he talked about it as a, a saving or a converting ordinance. He said, the, the presence of Christ is so powerful when you come to the table. The presence of Christ is so powerful that whether you understand it or not, your heart can be changed. And so it didn't matter if you were young or if you were old. It didn't matter if you'd had all kinds of training or none at all. It didn't matter if you understood everything that was going on or not. 
The only rule that he made was you can't be so inebriated that you can't understand what's going on. But aside from that, everybody was welcome to come to the table because this is where people encountered the risen Christ most powerfully. And to this day, that's still the rules that we follow. Understanding that, that here at the table, this is, this is where we encounter the risen Christ. And we, this is where we come together with all of our brothers and sisters the, from the past and the ones that are yet to be in the future and the ones that are near and the ones that are far. And it, it, it's not about us. It's about coming into the presence of Christ. Now, a minute ago, the choir sang a, a piece, come to the welcome table, from the cantata they're going to do next weekend on Saturday and at 8, 15, and 11 on Sunday uh, with the choir and the orchestra is going to be doing all this together. Uh, it comes from an old uh, African-American spiritual, uh, and, and, it, and it reflects this hope that, um, you know, that they held on to in that time. Um, the, the, the travesty that was chattel slavery, the American form of it, um, first off, I'm just going to tell you, you know, whatever rumors or whatever you've heard, you know, there, there's absolutely no way to support that out of Scripture. Uh, there, there's just absolutely no way to do that. It's diametrically opposed to the teaching of Scripture. But, but, but the, the tragedy of that was that people were treated as property, and so families were torn apart. You know, husbands and wives were separated and children were separated from parents and grandparents from grandchildren. And, and, and in that time, you know, there was this tremendous grief and longing uh, for, for someday that we can be together again. You know, someday our, our family can come together and, and we'll be able to, to sit down together. And, the, and they saw that, that the only reality of that, uh, the only hope for them for that was that someday God would gather them together at the table with the ones they loved. And they reached into the, old, the, the New Testament, into the book of the Revelation, and they remembered a story about a meal. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride is the church. The Lamb is Christ. The marriage supper is the eternal table at which they sit. And they held to that hope that if we're going to be separated in this life, maybe in the next life we'll be able to be with those people we love forever. I mean, that, that's the promise of, of, of the table, that God, God's word goes out, that wherever you are, wherever you hear that, that that invitation is given, that this is the table. And we come with all the saints of God, those that have gone before us, and those that are yet to be, and those that are near, and those that are far. And we are gathered at this place. We are gathered at this place in the presence of the living God. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to remind you, the, the only thing is, leave the mess outside. 
whatever that is, and different ones of you have your different messes, whatever it is, leave the mess outside and bring yourself to be here in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we are all called together. In the presence of God, we are all held together in love. Let us pray. Mighty God, your call goes out across all time, across all space, across all places, across all divisions. You call us to come to the table, to lay aside all of those things that we hold against each other, and to bring ourselves simply as servants to be in your presence, to sit at the table with you, to be fed with the bread of eternal life, to be handed the cup of salvation, to find ourselves renewed in in life and in mercy and in grace, and to find ourselves joined together with all of your children from the past to the future, from near and far. So call us again. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'd like to invite those who are assisting.